We honor our first responders. If there's anyone else here that's a police officer or a fireman, I'd invite you to come up. If I miss someone whose um, name or face I didn't call, um, we still have some room on this side. I want them to uh, be here as we read this text. I call your attention to the book of Jude, uh, which is um, maybe the shortest book in the Bible. It's, um, it's really only like a page, maybe a page and a half, depending on how small your print is. But its claim to fame is it's the, the little book right next to the book of Revelation. So you go to the last book in your Bible and hang a left. And right before Revelation is Jude, one chapter. And we read from verse 20 through verse 25. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Aren't you glad the Lord can not only save you, but he can keep you. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, the restoration of the gospel. The restoration of the gospel. Would you give these first responders another big hand? Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you for coming up. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. There is a verse in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 15, that speaks of the tabernacle of David being rebuilt. The tabernacle of David was a structure that David built. He wanted to build the temple. And um, the temple was more permanent uh, structure. Tabernacle was more of a temporary structure, similar to what they had in the wilderness. But the Lord told David, your hands are too bloodied from all the wars and battles and your son will build the temple. And he did. Solomon built Solomon's temple. That's one of the wonders of the world. They came from all over the then known world to see it. It was um, an amazing building, the ornateness, the, the majesty of it. But David, because that was not his assignment, he built more of a temporary structure and he wanted a place he could put... Uh, the ark, he wanted a place that would represent where people could go and worship the Lord. And that building, because it was temporary in nature, it sort of um, fell apart over the years. It kind of went into decline. The big, beautiful temple was there. The focus was on it. And this tabernacle of David sort of, 
it fell down. But in the book of Acts, the speaker is quoting from an Old Testament verse in Amos where it was prophesied that the tabernacle of David would be built again, like in its original form. It said that, I will build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. And this reference of the tabernacle of David being rebuilt in these last days has often been linked to How God is looking and coming back for a church that are worshipers, that are worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. This this tabernacle of David being rebuilt is linked to praise because praise is really what personified the life of David. And no doubt that's true because praise is what God inhabits and he will build again the tabernacle of praise. He will have a place of praise and he will have a people of praise. And you and I may choose to praise a sports team or a relationship or a sports car or a possession. But ladies and gentlemen, God is looking for people that are worshipers. Of the only one true living God. And his name is Jesus. And I say to you today. That's the group I want to be a part of. Because anything else you worship will fail you. Anything else you worship will decline over time. But oh. If you give your life to the worship of Jesus Christ. You've never wasted one vocal cord, the formation of that name. You've never wasted one amount of energy, not one calorie. You've never wasted one effort. You came to the house of the Lord and said, I will bless the Lord anyhow. I've had a bad week. I've had a bad day. I've had a bad month, but my God is good. And I'm going to worship him in the good and the bad. The Bible said he seeketh for such uh, that will worship him in spirit and in truth. We've got the truth. We know the truth uh, of the name of Jesus Christ. And oh, when we put that together with spirit, not just Holy Spirit, but human spirit, passion and love and determination and joy. And say, I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. Something is restored and and something is rebuilt and renewed even if you've had trials and troubles. So no doubt that rebuilding of this tabernacle is, is linked to praise. But is it possible that it's more than just praise? Is it possible that it's also indicative of returning and re- rebuilding, reestablishing as it were, the purpose and the plan of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to focus on in the few minutes I have with you today. The rebuilding of something that causes us to refocus on what the mission and the purpose of the church is. You see, when you go back to the book of Acts, and we go to the book of Acts a lot because the book of Acts is where the first church was established, and and we at East Wind are trying to link ourselves to the very first church. That was the template. That was the design. And, And so the first church is in 
the book of Acts. And when you take the book of Acts apart, the Acts of the Apostles, it was basically a history book. It was, it was recorded by Luke, who was a physician, and it, it's all just, you know, the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. It was the facts of what took place. It's the Acts of the Apostles. And so the book of Acts is a history book, and it's the establishing of this first church. And, and then whenever you, you bifurcate, dissect it, you'll see that the first part of Acts deals with the, the issues of the identity of Christ. Oh, that's so important. It was part of the foundation of that New Testament church. It's important that you know who the, the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's important that you know that Jesus Christ, hallelujah, is your Lord and Savior. And there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The first part of Acts deals with the issue of the identity of Christ and the, and the multiple layers of evidence and the opposition to that evidence by the Sanhedrin. And then the second part uh, of the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 6, deals with the nature of the gospel, the worship and the witness of the New Testament church. One exciting part of this section is how the gospel gets to Africa. It gets to Africa through this man from Ethiopia that has come to Jerusalem to worship and, and he's able to get his hands uh, on the transcript of Isaiah and learns about the promised Messiah and how that Jesus is that Messiah. And so then we see that the gospel goes to Ethiopia. Ethiopia, the oldest country in Africa, even older than Egypt. And this man had come to Jerusalem to worship. He had come, no doubt, as a part of the court of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia at that time, he had come to see this magnificent Solomon's temple. But oh, my friend, a lot of people have come to check it out. But oh, when they get in the presence of God. You remember when you first came to church, somebody invited you. You may have just come to check it out. Maybe you came to an Easter drama or a Christmas drama or a special service. But you couldn't deny what you felt when you came into the house of God. Oh, hallelujah. And so... He, he feels this, this precious presence of God and, and he begins to read Isaiah and the Lord takes Philip who's out, coming out of a red hot revival in Samaria drops him down there in the desert in the road the Gaza Strip down there and he takes him there and here comes the chariot and he asks him, you understand what you read? And he said, how can I accept some man should show me? And he begins to explain to him who Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about the Messiah. This lays the groundwork for the gospel to begin to spread around the world. The gospel goes to Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth, in the same chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 8. And then you get into the third section. The third section of the book of Acts talks about the gospel going to the Gentiles. In chapter 9, we see that Paul was converted to Christianity and takes the gospel to Europe. And then Peter takes the gospel to the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, who was a Roman centurion. The gospel is in Antioch in chapter 12 where the followers of Christ were first called Christians and the gospel spreads like wildfire and the world has never been the same. But it's interesting to see how this revival began and how it was sustained. As Jesus prepared to ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 1, the disciples of Christ wanted to know if this was now the time that Jesus would restore again the kingdom of Israel. Israel had once been the greatest nation on the face of the earth, a nation that world leaders would travel for weeks to, uh, across a desert just to come to see Jerusalem and to see Solomon's temple. Now Jerusalem was just a dusty outpost that the Roman soldiers hated the thought of even being stationed there. It was in their minds the very worst 
possible assignment. They patrolled the streets in total disdain of this place. They, they viewed the people as wild and woolly and, and uncouth and uncultured. And nobody wanted to go to Palestine. Not if you were a Roman soldier. So the disciples sensing that the departure of Jesus was at hand, uh, though about what it, it would look like sort of in their minds, maybe they imagined what it would be without Jesus by their side every day. And the, and the thought of his absence made them literally tremble. So they gathered their courage and they asked him, is this the time that we have been waiting for, that you're going to restore the nation of Israel? And what they got in return was a very terse answer from their master. Not only is this not the time, this is not the mission. This is not about the nation of Israel. This is about the kingdom of God. It's amazing to me that people are trying to go back to Judaism. Whenever he told his disciples, this is not about the kingdom of Israel. It's about the kingdom of God. To quote the King James Version, verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But, oh hallelujah, Aren't you glad the Lord never shuts one door without opening another? Now you guys are off track about this restoring the kingdom of Israel. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What kind of power? And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Samaria. They didn't, they wouldn't even walk through Samaria. Samaria were half Jew, half Gentile. They thought they was full of a bunch of people that were unclean. They would go walk way around Samaria. They wouldn't even go to Samaria. He said, I'm giving you power to be a witness unto me in Jerusalem, all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why the Lord gave us the power of the Holy Ghost. It wasn't for it to be our own personal goosebump machine, and us all sit around, look at each other, and speak in tongues to each other. That's not why He gave us power. He didn't just give us power so that you would be healed of your headache when you didn't feel good in the nighttime. It wasn't just for you to have your own personal comfort. He gave us power to be a witness. Jesus tried to realign their focus before he departed. You're going to be given power to be witnesses. Not witnesses of the greatness of Israel, but witnesses of the power of God to save your soul. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is never so strong as when it's witnessing. That's why we got to keep on witnessing. I feel like we've lost our way in the last 18 months of this pandemic because we have gotten into a defensive posture and we're more concerned about our own health than anything else. Ladies and gentlemen, what good does it do for you to go through life without COVID only to lose your soul? I've come to tell somebody today the church has still got to be the church. The church has still got to be a city that is set on a hill. The church has still got to be made up of men and women that say it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, the Lord can heal your body. Yes, the Lord can save your soul. But we've got to tell everybody... The Bible said, go into the highways and the byways. 
and compel them to come. It is the essence of being born again. This power is couched in the ability of God to restore and to renew. Not just rebuild, but to to rebuild in the very place where the disaster occurred. God takes the very ruin, the very chaos. I'm glad they didn't go to another location. I'm glad they rebuilt right in the same spot where those planes crashed into the World Trade Center. At some point they were thinking about moving across town somewhere. But I'm glad even now if you go there, it's very historical and it's very sobering. And the memorial and everything is amazing. But they got this one big tall building called Freedom One. I can't help but have a spiritual experience when I go there. Because there's a lot of people that's had a lot of disaster and ruin in their lives. But the Lord said, I'm going to take the very problem. I'm going to take the very place. And I'm going to build a Freedom One Tower right in the middle of it. And you don't have to live in bondage to sin any longer. You can be a new creature in Christ Jesus. He will take the same ruin, the same the same chaos, the very site of sorrow and rebuild. He doesn't need new ground. He doesn't need a new location or even new hearts. He can take the old heart and clean it up. He can take the broken life and repair it. He'll take all of the rubble, all of the hurt, all of the pain and say, that's where I'll build again. The tabernacle of David. Paul quoting from Hosea in Romans 9, 26 says, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people. There, everybody say there. There in the same location shall they be called the children of the living God. Uh, Some of you that are in the house of the Lord today and you're lifting up your hands and you're worshiping God. Uh, It used to be you couldn't get through the day without having to hit the bottle. You couldn't get through the day without shooting up something in your vein. You couldn't get through the day without hitting some pornography site on the internet. You couldn't get through a conversation or a sentence without three or four words that curse and damn the name of Jesus but here you are you're in the house of God you're the same individual but you're a new creature in Christ Jesus because God said that's the place that's the very man that's the very woman that will be a vessel of the Holy Ghost oh you want to thank the Lord that God did it right there in the same location same life God makes it all brand new. He can rebuild it all. Since we're talking about the tabernacle of David, let's look at the life of David. We're very aware that David had a moral failure. He committed adultery and then had Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. Perhaps the lowest point of David's life. He had lost all moral authority. He's a wreck. He's in shambles. But when you read about his prayer of repentance in Psalms 51, there's something revealing about it. It says, and I quote a portion of it, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
or against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and incended. My mother conceived me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I'm not asking for new bones, but I want these broken bones to find joy again. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm preaching to somebody today. I'm telling you, He'll take the broken bones and rebuild something beautiful. He can bring joy when there was nothing but sadness. He can bring joy when there was nothing but hurt. He can bring joy when there was nothing but pain. David said, hide thy face from my sins. Blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Do you see the commonality of those last few verses? That the bones may rejoice, renew a right spirit within me, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Do you see what David is saying? Rejoice, renew, restore, rejoice, renew, restore. They all speak to the same subject. Give it another shot. Don't quit trying. Don't quit reaching. Don't quit dreaming. Just one more time. Get back up and say, I'm going to worship God again. I'm going to be what God called me to be. Jesus. Jesus. This is what David had to do in Ziglag, 1 Samuel 30. A little outpost the Philistines had given him. He wasn't wanted in Israel. Saul was after his life. Philistines didn't trust him. He'd killed their giant. So they put him in Ziglag. And even in Ziglag, Malachites figured they were, they were easy pickings. No real superpower to back them up. Just a band of outlaws. And after the Amalekites invaded, took their families and took their possessions and set everything on fire and took off. Burned their city to the ground. David and his men come back, grown men, warriors. They stand there, cry like babies, lost everything. The men, loyal men that had been with David for years, hiding in caves and wandering through the wilderness. They take up stones to kill him. Enough is enough, David. Now we've lost our families. But David rebounded and rebuilt. The Bible said he encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes when everything else has turned against you and friends walk away, you've got to find a way to encourage yourself in the Lord. God, you're going to bring me through this. 
Mm. He went after the bad guys, got his family back. Got his stuff back, got his life back. Rebuilt the city. Sometimes you got to run into the fire. Sometimes you got to run into the building to save yourself and to save others. Because we were given power to be a witness. And when you're not a witness, you're not doing what God called you to do. So you got to pull them out of the fire. You got to keep on believing for that unsaved loved one. You got to keep on reaching for that wayward child. You got to keep on believing for that unsaved husband. You got to keep on teaching. You got to keep on preaching. You got to keep on singing. You got to keep on worshiping. You got to keep on believing. And you got to run into the fire. Sometimes you got to run into the fire to save yourself. We weren't designed to be out here in all of this comfort and prosperity. We were designed to reach into the fire and to pull them out, hating even the very garment that is stained by the flesh. We were designed to be soul winners. The reason there's so many Christians that are miserable in America is because we quit being soul winners. It's time to get a chart. It's time to get back into the prayer room, the war room. It's time to get back into God's purpose and restore what the gospel was meant to be. We've got to be that city on the hill. We've got to be a salvation station. People can come and find God. David got his life back, rebuilt the city, and it's in Ziglag, the very place. Well, all the pain, it was in Ziglag that he heard shortly thereafter that King Saul was slain. And now he would be the next king. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's the darkest right before the daybreak. When the enemy of your soul takes your family, your house, your possessions, and your friends turn on you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? David and his men could have given up in Ziglag. It was at the 11th hour, though they didn't know it at the time. I mentioned this in the first service. I always thought it was so sad. You, you see these NASCAR races and you see these unbelievable cars and people driving 200 miles an hour within inches of the bumper of other cars, and drafting and tires rotated and pit crews and the precision and fast and quick and adjustments of here and there and the science and and everything that's involved and all of this and I don't know if you've seen but I've seen him work at it for hours on a 500 mile race maybe even up here in, in Daytona and they got it all planned and everything is going just right and they run out of gas on the last lap for two and a half hours and then there's the guy with the flag. Put, 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 put. <laughs> Dies. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on the last lap. Jesus is getting ready to come back. Don't run out of gas on the last lap. Come on, David. You're getting ready to go to the throne. Come on, East Wind. You're getting ready to get your crown. Don't give up now. Don't give up in Ziglag. Don't quit now. Pick yourself up. Restore. Renew. Rebuild. Pull them out of the fire. 
God is able to keep us. God is able to bring us safely to the other side. question then for all of us is how do we do that? How do we rebound, recover, rebuild? Through worship? Yes. But not just worship. Worship benefits us, but also through witnessing. The original mission of the church was to have power to be witnesses. The church is never so healthy as when we are fulfilling what we were designed to do, witness, win souls. The World Trade Center stood as twin giants in New York as a monument to the financial power of this nation. That's one reason why they targeted it. They stood there as silent sentries on the wall, a testament to capitalism. The Dow Jones average, which is another index uh, marker of financial strength of a nation, was at 9,605 on September the 10th, 2001, one day before the attack. The day before they flew those planes into the World Trade Center in the Pentagon and killed almost 3,000 people. The day before, the Dow Jones average was 9,605. 20 years later, on Friday of this week, the Dow Jones was more than 34,000. From 9,605 to 34,000. Because America, over the years, have shown us that they can rebound. That they can rebuild. How many times have we seen America rebound, rebuild? When they wrote us off. On May 14, 1940, hundreds of German tanks pushed deep into French territory with drill-like precision. Marching toward Paris, Hitler's Britzkrieg, a mechanized tidal wave of planes and tanks and armored cars was sweeping aside everything in its path. Winston Churchill had been Prime Minister of England less than five days when he was awakened at 7 a.m. by his French counterpart who unequivocally declared, and I quote, we have been defeated. We are beaten. We have lost the battle. Churchill rubbed his eyes but said nothing. That day he flew to Paris to see what could be salvaged, but not before sending a telegram across the Atlantic to the White House. President Franklin D. Roosevelt. It read in part, and I quote, You are no doubt aware the scene has darkened swiftly. If necessary, we shall continue the war alone, and we are not afraid of that. But I trust you realize, Mr. President, that the voice and force of the United States may count for nothing if they are withheld too long. I say to this great church, Is it possible that our voice, the force of our witness, may count for nothing if we withhold it too long? Telegram seemed to burn a hole in the desk at the Oval Office. Roosevelt drummed his fingers on his desk and thought the stakes were high. The 
France fell and then possibly Britain, the entire balance of power in the world would change. Difficulty that Roosevelt faced at home was that America was still trying to recover from the Depression and the First World War and had no stomach for getting involved in what many considered to be a European conflict. When Roosevelt had taken office in 1933, America had been decimated economically. Unemployment had been at 25%. Industrial production had fallen by a third. And one half of the nation's wealth had been wiped out. Roosevelt's job had been tackling bread lines and closed factories and a budget out of balance by $2.5 billion. Dabbling in foreign affairs had seemed to be nothing more than a distraction. So our military had gone from being the fourth biggest military force in the world to 18th. Just behind the country of Romania. And just ahead of little tiny Holland. By 1939, the Army Air Corps, which was the forerunner of the Air Force, had only about 1,700 planes, including fighters and trainers, and they were badly in need of repair. Meanwhile, Germany had 8,500 planes and the first jets. At one point, Brigadier General George Patton, who had been put in charge of the Army's 2nd Armored Brigade at Fort Benning, Georgia, needed bolts and nuts to hold together the 325 tanks that we had compared to the Germans' more than 2,000. He asked the quartermaster for the necessary parts, and they never reached him. So in desperation, General Patton ordered them with his own money from a Sears and Roebuck catalog. Thank God the young people aren't in here. They don't even know what Sears and Roebuck is. FDR had a decision to make, and so he set the wheels in motion. Behind the scenes, we started preparing. We started building. Then the attack on Pearl Harbor changed everything. My father told me the other day, this week, as we were eating lunch at Panera Bread, he remembers as a kid that you could not go out on the beach in Jacksonville with binoculars. They saw you on the beach with binoculars, they would take them from you. Why could you not use binoculars on the beach? That's how close the German U-boats were to our coast. They were so close to our shores that there was a danger of spies signaling Morse code from the shore with glass and, and mirrors. And not knowing who was who, nobody was allowed binoculars on the beach. Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't take the battle to the enemy... They will attack us on our own shore. They bomb our buildings on 9-11 and our Navy sitting in our own harbors of Pearl Harbor. And ladies and gentlemen, this is what Jesus was telling his followers. I'm giving you power to be a witness, a worshiper, a warrior, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. If we don't attack the enemy in the drug rehab centers, if we don't attack the enemy in the prisons, in the orphanages, and in the poverty-stricken, AIDS-infested third world countries, then the enemy will attack us in our homes, in suburban America, in our churches, with our children. The gospel is not to perfect people. It's for the hurting. It's for the tired. It's for those that have had unexpected explosions in life. 
And it's for those that believe that they can rebuild in the rubble of despair. Because we're not just Americans. We are apostolics. We are the kids of the king. So instead of quitting or dying, we choose to get back up again. We choose to believe again. We choose to fight. We choose to live. We choose to say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The gospel will not be extinguished with prosperity or pandemics. I want to say that again. I want to make sure you get it. The gospel of Jesus Christ will not be extinguished with prosperity or pandemics. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. I say to this great church, we ought not to wait for a spiritual Pearl Harbor. We ought to set our spine like a steel rod, our face like a flint, and we ought to lean into this season that we are facing and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. He has called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. We're going to be spiritual first responders. And we're not afraid to run into the fire. We're not afraid to go after somebody. Oh, yes, sure. There may be the humiliation of rejection. But we were called to be first responders. We were called to run back into the building. And give somebody one more chance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pull them out of the fire. Pull them out of the rubble. Would you stand to your feet? Jesus. Jesus. I invite you to step out of where you're standing and come down to this altar from all over this building. God is wanting to do something very special in this service. Don't miss this opportunity.
the Lord has spoken a very prophetic word to this church. He's trying to rebuild something and restore something. Mm. That's it. Gather from all over. From all four corners of the building. Come on, gather. Gather in the aisles. Gather in the front. This is your altar. This is your altar. I don't know what you may be going through, but God said, I'll do the work. Right where you are. Come on, God said, I'll save you. I'll deliver you. I'll set you free. I'll give you power to live above sin. Power to be a witness. Jesus! Come on, I feel joy coming back to these broken bones. I choose to rejoice. Jesus
declared with our mouth. Oh, with the name of Jesus. Jesus. W. Bush, as President of the United States on September the 14th, 2001, stood in the rubble of twisted steel and tried to encourage first responders. They shouted out, we can't hear you. Somebody handed him a megaphone and he said, I can hear you. And soon the people that knocked down these buildings will hear all of us. I say to this great church today, Soon the world will hear. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus is Lord. But I wonder right now if we could set our voice like a trumpet. And if we could declare so that all of hell could hear. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the hope. You want to shout it out? (laughs) 
Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.